Welcome to Fresh Take, where we at Florida Organic Growers speak to food systems experts about topics related to organic and sustainable agriculture, healthy lifestyles, and the environment. To help us continue our programs at FOG, including our podcast, consider becoming a sponsor. For more information on sponsorship, check out our Get Involved page on our website, www.foginfo.org. Hello, and welcome to our latest episode of Fresh Take. We are joined today by Melissa Desaw, the co-founder of Working Food, who is here to give us the rundown on developing a resilient local food system and capturing the story of Working Food to understand how this can be done. Melissa, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. I've heard so many great things about you, and you know, I'm really stoked to get to know you better today and learn about your story. In addition to working food story, since we are all about, you know, highlighting people behind the work and sharing pieces of ourselves that might inspire other folks listening. So could you start by telling us about how you developed an interest in food and inspirations that drove you towards tackling food injustice? Sure. So, you know, full disclosure, over 10 years ago, which is when this started, I really didn't think about food too much at all, other than I needed to eat it to stay alive. Um, (laughs) I am in love with nature and animals, and that's what I studied. I got my degree at University of Florida studying wetlands and ecosystems. And my good friend and co-founder of Working Food, Anna Prizia, she was the one who many years ago got got me interested in food. She started up a slow food chapter in Gainesville and slow food is a national organization that works to promote good, clean and fair food for everyone. And I just thought it was kind of something fun to do. And we did little workshops and farm tours. She was helping connect people with local food. And I just started making the connections that the way that we eat, the types of food that we choose to purchase, the types of growing practices we choose to support really impacts all those critters and wetlands and places that I was in love with. And so the connections formed and, you know, kind of hearkened back to childhood memories of both of my parents always having really great gardens that I didn't necessarily participate in, but I benefited from getting to play in and eat the food. And it just all kind of came together for me. And and then we started up this nonprofit uh, about a decade ago in 2002, or sorry, 2012. And, uh, yeah, the rest is history, as they say. Wow. So, I mean, it's really interesting to me that you, you know, have a background in ecology and the wetlands, like you said, and how food is kind of interconnected with that sphere. It's fun to me to listen to folks that come from different backgrounds and fields, because at the end of the day, there is always a connection that comes back to food systems. And, you know, I think it's really really great that you wear many hats, you know, you are a seed steward, you are an artist, an educator, an ecologist, and obviously very dynamic background that brought you to this, this point today. So how did your journey translate into community work? What what led you to that? That's also really interesting because I would also have never thought that I would be doing so much community work and working with people. I think a lot of us that get into, you know, farming or the kind of work I was doing as an ecologist do it because we want to get away from people and we feel like people are the <laughs> problem, you know. I just be in the woods and in the water and looking at the birds. And then, you know, just as you mature 
and think about these complicated systems and how you're really going to make a difference in the world in the place that you care about you realize that people are we are the problem but we are also the solution and excluding people from these places and these spaces where we want to make change just doesn't work really well and so the work we started doing in the early days started mostly with children which is really fun to have children out in a natural space and at a farm collecting insects and looking at the world up close in a different way and pulling carrots from the ground never gets old. And so it really just helped, you know, make those connections for me that working with people was going to be what was going to help make this place better and help increase our food systems, which of course has anything and everything to do with people because every single one of us eats food and we vote with our dollar. And if we're learning about these things early in life, it makes a big difference. And so it just kind of all came together and we really were trying to give people not just the education about why local food is important, but sort of like the excitement and the empowerment to be involved in it. Maybe you want yes. to grow a garden or save your own seeds or teach your kids about how cool it is to look at worms that are making the soil that grows the food and how empowering and fun it can be to cook your own food and how even going a step deeper of cooking your own food from a few of the items that you grew in your backyard. And so that's really what working food is about is that community education and learning, but direct engagement and getting the skills and um, empowerment that you, you need to be a part of your own food community. That's so powerful. And I think, you know, you, you nailed it on the head when you said people are also the tools for inciting social change because you know, we have technology, we have other things that exist that can help drive forward, you know, much needed transformation, I think, in the food system. But it, it does really come down to us, right? At the end of the day, you know, I see you've had a considerable amount of experience in the nonprofit world and in community organizing for over 10 years. So what inspired you to create working food um, and, you know, to be the co-founder behind that. And can you dive in a little bit into the mission and vision of the organization? I think at the the root of it, the sort of desire and the why to do this, you know, Anna definitely inspired me to think about food systems in a way that I hadn't before. And in many ways, I was kind of along for the ride in the early days, not fully knowing what I was getting into, but having that deep care for the places around us that were impacted by the way we were growing food and using the landscape and being able to involve people in the process. I think that was the the flame that would keep me going is that this work was hopefully going to help make the places that we live a little bit more beautiful and resilient. And the mission, so the full history of our organization without getting into the weeds because it's long, is we started off over 10 years ago as two separate organizations, really. So there was Forage, and that was what Anna and I started. And we were really focused on connecting people with local food systems, you know, where to go to farmers markets, how to get access to local meat products, how to start a garden. Um, we started a little seed library working with children. And then a friend of ours, Val Leitner, had started up another nonprofit right at the same time called Blue Oven Kitchens. And she had a small commercial kitchen that she rented out by the hour, by the week. However, people needed that to launch their food business. 
And for many different reasons, that would be a whole other podcast episode. Uh, about five years later, we decided to merge the two organizations. And so we like to say it's like when you have a second marriage and you bring your different kids to the marriage and everyone's all under one house, but you come from different places, but you're connected. And so Forage came into this relationship with our seeds and our education and the kids programming and the local food connection. And then Blue Oven Kitchens came into the relationship with the entrepreneurial side of launching food-based businesses. And for years we had interacted with each other and overlapped in different places. So we just became one organization with one board of directors, one budget, one way to operate and bring it all into one space. And that was when Working Food was born. And so we kind of redesigned ourselves and reimagined things like now that we were these three different things in one organization now. And that was when we developed our mission, which if I can recite it correctly, our website is down. I don't realize how many times I go to our own website to look at our own stuff, but it's to, <laughs> to cultivate and sustain a resilient local food community in North Central Florida, doing that with collaboration, economic opportunity, education, and seed stewardship. And the vision really is that we have a resilient, sustainable food community. And that's how we got here. So I, I love how you guys realized that the two different organizations were really at the, trying to target some of the same things and, and bring it together under one roof. Because oftentimes I feel like there's a lot of different organizations across, you know, the, the local food scene or even the regional food scene that are doing a lot of the same thing. And oftentimes working together can make it that much more impactful. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, that that idea of of merging um, is is really great, and I understand you know that's one of your biggest tenants is is collaboration, and that's something that you know I, I like highlighting in in these kinds of stories because it it's at the end of the day working together is really what brings in all of these wonderful ideas. So and and speaking of the commitment to building a resilient local food community. Can you define what you think local food means and what a robust local food system might look like? Yeah, that's such a tough one, right? There's a million definitions of what local food is. And I would say that generally working food, honestly, we don't have sort of like a policy or a guideline of what we consider local food. Because we're small and where we're based, we tend to focus all of our efforts in the Gainesville and surrounding area. You know, we certainly work with farmers and food entrepreneurs that aren't in the city proper and are outside. So we're pretty uh, locally focused on where we spend our efforts doing this work. But I guess I would say, you know, generally local food, I mean, I would like it to be coming at least from within, I don't know, let's say a couple hundred miles of where we're at. If we really want to try to be as local as possible. And of course, you know, just saying, even staying in the state of Florida, like Miami is pretty darn far. There's places in Georgia that are closer than in our own state. Um, but yeah, that's a really tough one. But like I said, we, we kind of focus our efforts mostly locally in Gainesville. Yeah. It's interesting because it, yeah, you, you said it right. I mean, there's so many different definitions and variations of what local food means and, you know, I pose it to you just to see what you guys define it as since everyone kind of has a different vision mm -hmm. of local food. And I think it's important to just, you know, highlight this idea that 
there isn't one strict definition, you know, for for different people, local can mean different things. And so it's cool to see kind of, you know, what that means to to different people. And um, you mentioned before, you know, pulling carrots out of the ground. And someone actually mentioned that to me just today, that the moment they pulled a carrot out of the ground, that was when they felt this connection to food and and a commitment to local food. And in sometimes, like you said, it comes right out of the state, outside of the state. And so it's interesting to know how different perspectives come into play. Mm-hmm. And one thing I want to highlight with Working Food is that you guys have various components. You have a community center, a commercial kitchen, food storage, a workshop space. Can you tell us a little bit more about these various components and how it all works together? I would love to. Yeah. So working food, like I mentioned earlier, when we we did this merger, we kind of brought all these programs and ideas into one place. And so essentially we have three separate but related programs. And then the staff like to joke and all the stuff in between that's not necessarily defined by one of the programs, but it's all the other things. So we have our seed collective program. And that's the one that I mostly get to work on every day, which I'm super grateful for it. It's what gets me out of bed every morning. And that is in essence, sharing, saving, educating about locally adapted varieties so that the very foundation of our food system, the seeds is adapted for Florida and we have control over it. Uh, We have our youth programs, which we used to just call the youth garden programs, but it's just grown so much that it's so much more than just gardens. These kids all the way from preschool to high school get to learn in their gardens every week about how to grow food and also how to cook the food and save the seeds and perhaps become food entrepreneurs one day. And then we have our kitchen program and that's based at our 10th Avenue office, which is near Cypress and Grove Brewery and afternoon restaurant. And that's the physical space where food businesses that need access to a kitchen that they just need to rent, whether it's by the hour, by the month, by the week, whatever that may be for their business, they can rent that space out. And it's a shared, inspected, certified kitchen. So if you want to start a food business legitimately, you have to be in a space like that. And that's what that facility offers to people in our area that are starting a food business. That location is where our office spaces, our meeting space, and our event space, which prior to the pandemic was you know, a full scale event space. It was a giant open hall. We had tables and chairs. We rented it out to different community organizations for very affordable rates to do events there. And we did a lot of our own events there. But during the height of the pandemic, when everything just kind of went crazy and we had to consolidate and save resources, we put all of our stuff into the event hall and got rid of some other spaces that we had. So in essence, now it's it's kind of a really cool space. It's where we have our meetings and we gather and it's still big enough and sparse enough that we can host our own small events. And yeah, so those are the three programs. And then, like I said, there's kind of the the stuff in between that is hard to define sometimes just staying active in the local food community, which means going to different community meetings and showing up to spaces to see what everyone else is doing and where we can plug in and, you know, occasionally having to show up to maybe local government meetings to advocate for local food and supporting other people doing this work, however that looks like, because like we said before, it's all about partnerships. And ultimately, if this is going to be a true sustainable 
system and community, we want more people doing this work. So the more people that start gardens and save seeds and teach kids and start food businesses, we are excited for them and we want to support that. So that's so great. Yeah. I think you guys, you, you sounds like you are acting as somewhat of a community hub where, you know, folks can come and, and kind of learn about various different things. Like you said, the role of seed stewardship, and just learning the importance of preserving local food, biodiversity, um, utilizing a kitchen as, you know, a working space as well. And just having the space, like you said, to to come together and convene and also giving the opportunity for infrastructure development for, you know, supporting f- local food businesses. Can you dive a little bit further into what kind of resources you provide in that realm of developing other other food businesses sure yeah so physical infrastructure is just a huge need right for especially when we think about folks that have a food-based business you know they're catering or they're baking making cheese whatever it is they have a food truck like you need physical actual space to do your thing and without that it just doesn't exist and what we've found is that you know, some folks by, by us offering a shared kitchen space for one, it's very affordable. So the barriers to a lot of people starting a business, which especially for most of us that don't have a lot of capital or a rich uncle or a way to get, you know, a big loan or some investment, like we just can't afford to get our own brick and mortar space and to, you know, have all of our own equipment. And so a lot of folks just to get started, it reduces the risk and the barrier to getting started. And even if things don't work out, they haven't lost much in the end. But what we found is, you know, folks will come in in various stages of development of their business idea. And if they're ready to actually get into the kitchen, then they do. And some of them, you know, they spend some time, they get their feet under them, they establish a process and start going to markets and kind of getting their feet under them. And for some of them, continuing to just have access to this space where they can use all the facilities we have. They can, you know, have a shelf to keep their stuff cold or keep their flour and dry storage that's protected. They can use this, the stoves, whatever they need is all that they need. They're just a small business and they're never going to need their own space. And so that's, it works really well for them. And that works out for us too, because we have consistent regular clients and revenue comes in to help us pay for the space and keep it up. Um, And then other folks really outgrow us, which is the true success story. It's always a little bit sad when we'll find out one of our kitchen clients is, is leaving us, but it's, you know, if they're leaving us because they've outgrown us and they're now ready for phase two, like it feels kind of good. It's like sending your kid off to school, you know, you do <laughs> all you can and hopefully they do well and remember you. Um, so that physical infrastructure and that low barrier access is really, really key for a lot of folks getting started. And then I would say, you know, for the other programs that we have the physical infrastructure is equally important. We have to have places to do our work, to gather, to store things, to host events. But it's really also the the people and the labor infrastructure. So, I mean, I can't tell you how many great ideas come across our plate. You know, working food should do this, or wouldn't it be cool if we could do that? And it's always like, or even not just even working food, but like really great ideas for our food community. But it's who's going to organize that is their organizational infrastructure is their labor infrastructure is their funding for these really great projects, you know, and that's kind of where our 
collective years of expertise with our board of directors and our staff and um, Anna, who's now a county commissioner, but still very much supports our work. Like all of our expertise comes in to say like, that's a really great idea, but it's going to take a lot of organizational infrastructure or funding or someone's going to need this or that in order to make it successful. So yeah, all kinds of infrastructure needed for, for local food, physical and organizational. Right. Right. And that's, I think that's really important because it's, it's one thing to have an idea, but it's another to actually put it into place and having that kind of support is really key in order for people to, to still stay motivated, I think, Mm -hmm. in pursuing this kind of work, because it is, it is hard. It takes a lot of dedication. And the fact that you guys have collaborated across multiple areas, you mentioned working um, with and creating space, even with local government and having, you know, partnerships with other community organizations. So I'm wondering could you tell us how significant these partnerships are in in having you achieve your mission with working food? Yeah, they're not just significant. They're really essential. They are so essential to help us actually meet our mission. And what's interesting is that a lot of these partnerships, you know, we all don't have the same mission per se, but we overlap somewhere where we can help each other meet our missions by working together. So a specific example would be the Seed Collective's partnership with GrowHub. So GrowHub is another nonprofit here in Gainesville, wonderful nonprofit that exists solely for the purpose to provide opportunities for adults with disabilities to find employment, to find ways to stay socially engaged and connected, physically active, all these fun things through horticulture and agriculture in an actual landscape nursery that's right here in town. Working Food's mission is not to support people living with disabilities. Of course, we care a lot about that and think it's important. Our mission is to make our local food community better. GrowHub's mission is not to support local food. It's to help people with disabilities find meaning in their life. And so we've come together in the middle where we're like, hey, you know, working food really, really need a space for our gardens where we can do our seed program and a space to source stuff and do workshops for the community and we would love to work with the staff at GrowHub and train them in the work that we do and give them opportunities to connect with us and socially engage with them on a regular basis and help GrowHub meet their mission by giving folks meaningful things to do. And then they're supporting our mission with the seed program by being able to provide locally adapted seeds. And so there's just so many examples of that in what we do every day where we just find these beautiful partnerships that take a lot of time to cultivate, you know, they just don't happen overnight. You meet folks, you stay connected, you see what everyone's doing. And then, you know, maybe there's a a pilot program or something you can jump into and, and off it goes. And it's the same across all of our programs. I mean, we could talk all day about the amazing partnerships and collaborations where we're mutually supporting one another. And as far as the, the local government support, we're very grateful early on when working food was established and we had to build the new kitchen facility and we had this event space. It was a very significant capital infusion of money that was needed to build this kitchen that was going to be this affordable space for people to start food business. That was, you know, a lot of positive economic development for the community and the local city and county recognized that and helped support the actual build out through funding of that, of that kitchen space, which is absolutely essential and needed. 
And then to this day, there was city funding that helped us make it through the pandemic. As you probably know, a lot of food-based businesses really struggled at that time. And for us, a lot of our clients were not doing well and they were not able to sustain their businesses. And so that impacted us, but we were still able to keep our doors open for the few that were still holding on and able to make it work. And it allowed us to keep going and then to continue once this sort of started to go away and folks were coming back to the kitchen and new people were interested in this work, we were able to have the resources to keep that going and to rehire someone back into that position to help facilitate the clients. And uh, we we should be getting some county funds that will hopefully get here sometime around the spring to help continue with the kitchen program because it's really, you know, really starting to see a lot of success stories of small businesses starting up by having access to the space and then also tying into our youth program where we're trying to have opportunities for particularly high school age students that we work with that are underserved and have, you know, experienced economic disparities. And I mean, you name it, that are going through other programs through other partnerships like Project Youth Build. And they've been working with us to um, provide opportunities for these young adults to learn about the food world. So getting into food service, perhaps learning about local food and farms. And so anyhow, that's all to say that continued county support is helping us build these programs to continue to build the kitchen program, to continue to build our efforts to build young people in the food system that are hopefully going to take an active role by getting the opportunities to learn about local food from all the angles. Right. And one thing that really comes through to me as you're talking through these examples of collaboration and community engagement is this idea of shared values. You mentioned, you know, collaborating with Grow Hub and working with folks with disabilities and, you know, having different missions, but at the end of the day, sharing values um, in the work that you're doing and the people you're trying to help and the community that you're trying to create. And that is something that I think is is very powerful um, in this kind of work because we don't necessarily all have to have the same definition of local food. We don't all have to have the same idea of what, you know, different things mean, but having those, you know, shared beliefs and, you know, ways of working together is what really makes these kinds of projects and ideas come to fruition and, and become very successful. And you mentioned, you know, various things that made me think of equity and, you know, addressing the underserved populations. Are there other examples that Working Food um, has done in order to make sure you are doing all that you can to commit to this idea of creating an equitable food system? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So when we think about you know, earlier to your question that I'm not sure if I answered as to defining what a robust, local, resilient food system looks like for us, really, you know, if we had all this beautiful produce being grown and lots of farmers markets, and we had a food hub, and there was plenty of local food being circulated around, but it was only available to those that could afford it, or find it, or some of the food that you know, say immigrant communities that live here searching for, they cannot find. Like to us, that's not a sustainable or resilient or just or equitable or sovereign food community, right? It has to be 
available to everybody and everybody needs to have some kind of say in how that food system looks for them. And our organization is really, we're not a service provider in the sense that we deliver food to people that need it. There is absolutely a need for that in our community. And there's organizations that do it really well because there, unfortunately, is a really big need for emergency food assistance. People are hungry right now. They need food. They go to the food bank. That's not what Working Food does. We intentionally and thoughtfully work alongside community partners that are working with impacted communities. So whether it's young, primarily African-American communities that are underserved in however capacity that looks like. So for example, Cultural Arts Coalition is a wonderful nonprofit run by Enquanda Ja that's been in this community for many, many years. She is very interested in providing equitable and fun access to science education for people that don't typically get access to science education or for young Black children who don't feel like being a scientist is for them because it's not something they relate to or have had access to. Mm. And can help her and her mission. Again, here we go. Like That's not our mission to provide science education to kids, but we know that she's working with impacted communities that deserve more. And we can come in with a garden program, teach the kids about science, have a lot of fun in the garden. And in the end, they get to take some delicious, healthy food home. They learn about growing their own food and how to cook it. We don't expect these kids to necessarily become farmers or chefs, but what's the worst that can happen? We're always like, oh, they've learned how to grow some food and save their own seeds for their garden and cook for their families. Like these are skills that can feed us and fuel us for the rest of our lives. Um, And let's see what else. So the, the kitchen program, we don't even advertise that we're looking for minority communities or underserved folks to apply for our kitchen space, but that is overwhelmingly the the demographic of folks that need access to our space, again, because of the lower barriers and lower risk to entry into this business by having this facility. And so those mm-hmm. tend to be mostly minority BIPOC communities, women-owned businesses, veterans that are primarily accessing our space. And so, you know, sort of leveling the playing field for everyone as best that we can by having that facility for folks wanting to start a business. Um, And then the seed program, you know, seeds are the most fundamental source of life, right? Without seeds, most of the food that we depend on every day, we don't have access to. And saving our own seeds is super empowering because then we know that we can grow food. And we teach other folks how to save their own seeds, how to grow gardens. We donate a lot of seeds to the community seed libraries and to wonderful organizations like Gainesville Giving Garden that are growing produce for impacted communities that don't have access to nutritional, healthy food. Um, So we're always trying to align ourselves in ways that are supporting what underserved communities not just need, but what they're asking for. And also recognizing that we are almost primarily, but not fully like a white-led organization, but we work in solidarity and not charity. Like we don't have this old school charity model where we want to go into a community because we think that they need this and therefore we can offer this to help solve their problems. Like that is not how we work. Like I mentioned a few times, the different partnerships we have, we kind of develop these relationships and trust and then find where we can oftentimes actually be invited into these communities to say, hey, it would be really great if you could help teach our kids to do this. Or, you know, could you help by donating some seeds? Or 
you know, I've got this guy that really wants to start a food truck business. I'm going to send him to you. So we really try to make sure that the work that we're doing is aligning with what community members that are most impacted actually want, need, and are asking for, and that we can do. That is so great. I think you mentioned not inserting yourselves into spaces and and assuming what people want. And I think a lot of the times that is kind of what we see in, in, in some of these charity models is kind of this unwanted um, gesture. But this idea of, you know, folks being able to come to you and and utilize all of these resources that you have provided makes makes things a lot more easier. And in, in terms of, I think, building these relationships with community members and having that kind of solidified community. And so I wanted to give you a moment to share any upcoming events or resources um, that our audience might benefit from that relate to local food and, um, you know, building this kind of resilient, equitable food system. Is there anything that um, you'd like to share with our listeners? Sure. So if anyone is interested in learning about growing food in Florida and saving your seeds, we have a lot of free resources on our website, workingfood.org and then slash seeds will take you to the seed resource page. So we've accumulated a bunch of our favorite resources and published a few things that'll help get you started. And also again, pointing you to other organizations that are doing great things like Grow Gainesville, where you can learn about local gardening issues and connect with others. And our website and social media are also a good place to just kind of continuously follow us because we do various events throughout the year that are our own events, but we also show up to other people's events um, that are doing fun things connected to local food or climate. Um, so those are good ways to sort of stay abreast of, of what we're doing and where you can find us. And we, we do have an upcoming tomato tasting workshop that has, sorry, it's not a workshop. It's a pop-up market and event. It's a tomato tasting, super fun. Uh, something we've done for a few years in a row, but this year we're going to be highlighting not just the diversity of tomatoes that can grow in our climate, but also the diversity of ways that different people from our kitchen utilize them. So it'll be a really tasty event to highlight the importance, the excitement, the coolness really of all the local diversity of food that we can grow here. And then the different business owners that can turn those fresh tomatoes from local farms into something magical. That sounds so delicious. I am such a fan of tomatoes and that actually is my favorite fruit. Um, For a lot of folks um, listening, they're probably thinking, what? Tomatoes? Like that sounds kind of weird, but it's something that I've always loved. And growing up, that was my, the first word I ever said. Oh my. Um, yeah. So <laughs> it's funny because that's, that's how obsessed I am with tomatoes. So the fact that you guys are hosting a tomato tasting is, is sounds so incredible. <laughs> it's fun for us. It's one of those events that really connects the dots with all the work that we do internally for working food in our programs, but just out in the community, because, you know, for me as the the self-described seed lady, getting people's input on all the different types of tomatoes and tasting them really helps us decide which seeds we should be saving for our community. And it also helps people get excited about specific varieties. So I get excited when people aren't just talking about local tomatoes, but they're talking about 
Sun Gold or Jean Flamme or San Marzano, like they're naming varieties that they like. And then we will save the seeds. And then, you know, so there's all that education in there about biodiversity and growing local food, and blah, blah, blah. And then connecting it with the, the business owners that we work with, who we really want to encourage as much as we possibly can to use local food when they can to kind of show up and show off with some of their cooking talents and support their business by getting more people to taste some of the yummy things that they can spin out of the kitchen with, with local produce. Wow. Yeah. I love that. We, and here at fog, we are also trying to, you know, put a big emphasis on local food and I actually coordinate our local food project that's going to take place over the next three years. But we are trying to highlight different things like that and the importance of diversity in our food and the folks behind it. So, you know, thank you so much, Melissa, for giving us insight into this significant operation and the nitty gritty that we often don't know or hear much of um, when it comes to the actual creation behind local, resilient, equitable community food systems. Your commitment is quite admirable and I think speaks to the idea that each seed planted, each meal shared, and each person engaged brings us one step closer to you know a future where everyone has access to fresh, nourishing food. That was really well put. I need to write that down and use that. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I mean, and, and for those listening, we hope you enjoyed our conversation today and join us in growing vibrant local food systems and becoming stewards of your own food journeys and communities. So we hope you share this episode with peers and anyone you're looking to inspire to take that next step. Thank you again, uh, Melissa, for joining us and for everyone tuning in until next time. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Puerto Organic Growers is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. So to keep our content available and free to the public, we need your help. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen and consider making a tax-deductible donation or become a sponsor. Learn more about our work and how you can become a sponsor from our website, www.foginfo.org.